final thing I want to mention uh, and just kind of take some time to really honor is uh, what we call partnership here at Bethany. If you've been around church at any length of time, you've likely heard a word called member or membership. Uh, we've kind of said, you know what, I'm not crazy about that word. I mean, what, when you hear the word membership, what do you guys think? Just what do you think? Throw some words out. What do you think? <laughs> do you hear Chris? How have you heard Chris? Say it again, Chris. Say something loud. Chris thinks of Costco, right? I'm not a member of Costco. Some of you might be, so you can play ha-ha. I can go in and shop for all those great organics, Adam, that you cannot, right? I mean, that's, that's how Costco kind of works. It's a club. You can get in. No one else can't. You get the discounts. They don't. Um, so we have Bethany said, you know what? We're not crazy about the word membership. The Scripture doesn't really ever talk about it either, which is interesting. But what the Scriptures do talk about is a body, a family, a commitment, a rugged commitment to one another. Uh, so we've chosen, right or wrong, the word partnership, ministry partnership. And so so what we're really asking people is to say, you know what? We believe in where we're headed. We believe in the mission. Let's, let's be ruggedly committed to one another. And so we uh, challenge people to that. Here's the commitment, and then I'll introduce you to the people. Uh, the commitment is this. Desiring to partner with Bethany Grace Fellowship, I affirm my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I desire to live a life that is obedient to him. I commit myself to the purposes of Bethany. I agree to support the ministry of Bethany with my time, spiritual gifts, and financial resources and submit to the discipline of the church. I understand that if my commitment to the church changes or my doctrinal views change in such a way that I'm no longer in agreement with Bethany's doctrinal statement, it is my responsibility to inform the board of elders. So that's the commitment that they've made. And partners play such a key role. I'm going to talk about one area, then I'll introduce people to you. See these lights behind me that are blinking right now? I want to draw attention to this. A number of you have been really irritated by these lights, right? Some of you have talked to me very passionately about these lights. They're too bright and they hurt to look at, or, or right now they're, they're, you notice they fade in and fade out. Well, a partner, it's not Chris and Adam, it's not our elders, it's people committed together have said, you know what, environment matters. We as a church have said that. We're about that. Environment matters. We re-landscaped a lady's home yesterday, and she walked out in tears. She's like, man, this looks like this should be in better. Environment matters. Beauty matters. No matter where you're at, no matter what level of poverty you are. So we have a partner who said, you know what, let's do something with this stage. So they came up with this great idea, and they've progressed, working hard at it. They do this, but, man, they work their tail off. And week after week, we've been running into problems because we discovered you plug them in. See them blinking? There they go. Plugged into the wall, when the air conditioner kicks on or any kind of draw for electricity, it's causing these things to blink. So then they come back and they say, okay, we can solve it. So backstage, if you go backstage, they hooked up a full-blown tractor battery to these things. And they ran them, let's get them off the electric loop here in the building. Well, guess what happened then? The battery drained, gone. Then the lights went out. So then they hooked them to some kind, I don't even know what it all is. There's boxes of stuff back there. They hooked them to transformers that hooked to a, uh, some battery charger to try and keep the battery consistently charged while they're keeping these lights on so they don't blink. Well, the battery still died. So now they, it, we had a great solution first service. They went out in the middle of my message. So now we got them plugged into the wall and we bypassed that whole thing. But here's why I share all that. You can sit out there irritated with the lights. I, that's fine. You're, they are. They're kind of obnoxious, aren't they? And we stand, especially those of you sitting here looking at me this way, and you see this little twinkle behind me. But what we celebrate at Bethany is failure. People saying, you know what? We know what we're about. We know what we're trying to do. We know what matters. Let's keep pushing forward with progress. 
And it's not Chris and I driving it. It's people who bought in and are ruggedly committed to saying we're a part of this thing. So, again, I, I, those of you, you know who you are behind this, and I absolutely love it and all the energy that's going into it, and I no doubt you will find good solutions to get these things to stop blinking. I'm sure of it. <laughs> if not, they'll, they'll, we'll find something else to put on stage. Well, here the partners are this time around. Again, I'm going to have to show you the names. Um, we'll have those of you that are here to stand after that. First one we have is Dave and Melody Burkhart, and their kiddos there. So that's Dave and Melody. If you... <laughs> Have you ever been unfriended by anyone? Right? That's, that's a fun experience, isn't it? It's not you, it's us. Right? Ever have anyone uh, tell you that? Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, page 857 in the Bible is there in the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd even say take that one home with you. Uh, that's our gift from us to you. Uh, Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 27 through 42. When you think about that video and you think about unfriending, one of the things that I, the short life that I've lived, I think if I had to stack up and name, maybe think about this yourself. If you had to name the five most painful things that any human can experience, the chances are good that near the top of your list or somewhere in it is going to be rejection or isolation or abandonment. It is one of the most painful things that any human will experience. We weren't designed for it. We were designed for community. Matter of fact, when you talk to those, just maybe if you've done this, talk with those who work with addicts. And we talk to those who work with addicts, a lot of times what they will tell you is what stands behind the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups that they have a hard time kicking is often at some level this reality of isolation. You talk with counselors or psychologists and, and you listen to them talk and a lot of times what they will tell you what stands behind many, 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 many psychological disorders is this reality of isolation. Now you heard in our welcome this morning, uh, the, as, as Tanya after the first song talked about this church being a place that embraces its family. I think what happens is we come to the church, whether it's Bethany or another church that you've been to in your background, we come to the church with the expectations of friendship and, and inclusion pretty high. After all, aren't we the place that represents the love of God? Aren't we the place that says we're going to be warm and welcoming and engaging? I mean, any church says that. I've never met a church that says, yeah, we want to be cold and sterile. So when we walk towards the church, we often have this high expectation, and this reality is that we're in the back of our minds often saying, you know what, this place can fix my friend problem. They can fix my isolation. Now, <laughs> those of you who have been around the church a while know that what happens when you're in a church a while? You get let down. You get hurt. And what I've learned, many of you know this as well, right? When the expectations are the highest in anything, the hurt is the greatest. So there's a lot at stake on this as we talk about this subject within the church. So what I'd like to do this morning is really dive into this passage and talk about how do we do this thing called friending, especially in the inner circles, we talked last week about, we aren't talking about the crowds or that net. We're talking about those, the 3 to 12 to 15 people that you are doing life with. How do you do it and do it well? How do you avoid that feeling of isolation? How do we step into this? And I think Luke gives us an answer. I want to give you right out of the gates what I think, I want to boil this passage down to this statement. It's the way I would say it, and I'll show you where it comes from here in a minute. Whatever it is you want to receive, give it away. 
So what is it that you want in your friendships? What do you want to receive from that inner core, from those three to 12 that you hang out with and do life with? What is it that you really desire from them? In turn, give it away, and I promise you will, you will receive it. With that said, look with me at Luke chapter 6, verse 27. This is Jesus preaching. It's, this is a written version of his sermon. His sermon is, it's been dubbed, if you will, the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you, maybe if you've been around the church, are familiar with the Matthew 5 version. This is Luke's version. The, the Dr. Luke also would have taken this in and he wrote about it. And here's his version. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Let me pause here. Some of you say, no, wait a minute, Adam. Adam, we're talking about friends. This passage is about enemies. We're talking about that inner core. (laughs) This is far from the inner core. I want you to hang with me. You're going to see Jesus translate and move throughout this passage. It's very subtle. But by the end of the passage, he's actually naming your enemies as your friends. And I'm going to talk about why as we work through this. So hang with me. You're saying, don't just hang with it here. But read again, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you in one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, that last phrase, we could preach all year on this passage. This is one of the hardest, most challenging passages to live out that I'm aware of in the Scriptures. I don't know of a a teaching, a Christian teaching, that is harder to live than what I just read. And it all builds to Jesus kind of summing it up, do to others as you would like them to do to you. What is that called? What is it? Go ahead. The, there, see, you guys know it. Golden rule. It's something you've likely been taught since you've been a little kid. Maybe some of you are are little kids. You you hear your mom and dad tell you about it. It is something that all major world religions, to the best of my understanding, have in common. Whether you're Jewish, you are maybe Muslim, maybe you are um, a Mormon, You go down the list, every world religion that I'm aware of has a version of the golden rule. It's one of the things that all religions agree on. Now, what is it? What is the golden rule? Some of us look at it and we make it so simple, but I want to challenge us to say we might misunderstand what this is. Let me tell you a story. Um, I do a lot of weddings. Pastors, we just do that. Chris does weddings. I, I enjoy weddings. They're fun. Uh, there's, they're, they're a party. I love parties. Let's go to party. Who doesn't want to go to a party? And, and usually, I'll be honest, I get free food at these parties too. I mean, it's usually, and it's usually really good food. I don't like the dressing up part, but, you know, we can get over that. So we usually, you know, I, I get all dressed up. We go to these things. We have this ceremony. We go eat. And then generally the place starts to loosen up and some music kicks on and, and the place kind of comes alive. There's all kinds of stuff happening. Well, what I do in these moments I've done this since the high school dance that I'd go to. I generally make my way over to the wall, right? You ever, you know, any of you do this? I lean more to the introverted side of the spectrum. And I love it. I love the, I love the environment. I love the energy. I love the music. I love watching people having fun. And I love hanging out over here making, making conversation with the rest of us hanging out over here. 
Now, if you were my best friend, and let's say you're at the wedding, and you're leaning more to the extroverted side, and you're out on the floor and having a good time, you're out in the center of it all, and you look over and you think, it's so sad. Adam should be out here having fun. So you go over and grab me and pull me out onto the floor. What do I think? I'm not a real fan of you at the moment. But you are doing it because you're like, man, why did you do it? You know why you did it? Because you would want that done for you. You might be an extrovert. You're looking at life through a different lens than I'm looking. You think, I mean, that is so sad. No one should have to be left out. Let's bring them in. Give you another scenario. Say you go out to um, coffee with a best friend. And you, you know, you've had a, I mean, you've, you've been living strong, but the last week has been hard. And you pour out your guts to this friend about how awful the last week has been. You get all done. There's this kind of silent pause. And then your friend throws back at you, man, you got this. You can do it. You have what it takes. And they become your biggest cheerleader and they're trying to pump you and you're sitting there like, really? I just wanted to, I get this. Now, were they wrong? Why did they do what they did? They likely did to you what they would want you to do to them. They likely don't need someone to sit with them. They need someone to cheer them on and give them the courage that they have a, they're having a hard time mustering up themselves. So I come back to this golden rule, do unto others what you'd want them to do unto you. Well, that doesn't work. And I'd also offer it's not fully what Jesus is going after. It's a misunderstanding of the golden rule. What does he mention? Let's look at verse 32. It's going to dig deeper. If you, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Then verse 35, what comes back around, love your what? Enemies. Do you know one of the things I've observed with friendships? Oftentimes with friendships, it's this principle. What's in it for who? Me. You know, a lot of times you may get a call from a friend. Hey, will you help me move? Oh, shoot. I should help them because six months ago they helped me. Right? It's a, I scratch my back. And you don't feel a freedom to just say no. You do it out of obligation because they did for you. Many, many friendships revolve on this cycle. And I would say it's not a friendship at that point. You in a true friendship, you have the freedom to say, no, I can't. Now, what ends up happening with this, and I think Jesus, again, shifts to enemies. We're going to pull the word friend in in a minute. You're going to hang on to this. But oftentimes, I think what happens with friendship is we forget. We forget that we are interacting with sinful people. You'll never make friends with a perfect person. And they often become your enemy. I believe with Jesus, when he says love your enemy, we read this passage, and some of you know the history, and you know the Roman Empire is occupying, occupying Jerusalem. And the Romans have become the Jews' greatest mortal enemy. And a lot of times when we read this passage, that's where our mind goes. I believe Jesus has something far different in mind. 
Here's what I, here's why. Let me get, paint a picture for you. I preach this morning. I say I go stand by the back door, and one of you in this room is a complete and total stranger to me that I have never met in my life before. You're offended by what I said. Man, I'm deeply offended. You meet me at the back door, and I'm standing there. I go to sh- stick my hand out, and instead of shaking my hand, you haul off and slug me or slap me across the face. And then you be going to this verbal tirade about how awful I am and all the reasons why you just hit me. Now, what am I going to do with that? I'm likely going to walk away and think, they have a problem. They've got a real problem. I might lose a little sleep tonight because, you know, my face hurts, and it brings it back to mind. But probably by Wednesday, it's long gone. My wife, flip the roll. My wife, some of you know Tanya, right? I can't even picture her doing this. <laughs> My wife does the very same thing, meets me at the back door, hauls off and slaps me. Everyone's watching. And she goes into this verbal tirade about how awful I am and how awful that message was. Am I going to forget it by Wednesday? No way. I may not forget it by next year, a year from today. Why? The closer someone is to you, the deeper the potential for hurt Oftentimes, your enemies come from your inner circle. I think when Jesus says this, love your enemies, yes, he is meaning, because one of the things he talks about is carrying the coat. That's a, that's a military term, and he's t- dealing with the, the Roman occupying military. I think he's also saying, your inner circle are sinners. They're not perfect. You guys scratch each other's back, but you are going to get hurt at some point. Love your enemies. And again, He's going to switch enemies to the word friend by the end of this. So hang, hang tight. I think that's now. So verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So a real simple nutshell here. This one Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, what I'm asking of you is the very same thing that's been offered to you by God. Verse 37 now, that gets to the heart of the, of the golden rule. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Remember the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Look back at verse 31. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Look at verse 37. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Here's this give and this take. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. You guys have all done that before, right? You're pouring something into a container. It's not quite enough room, so you bound that thing down to make room for it and shake it down in. So it's saying, listen, you've pounded it in, you've shaken it in, and it's still running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be determined the amount you get back. That right there is the golden rule, and it's really hitting this issue of judgment. Matter of fact, maybe I could say it this way. Our actions and attitudes reflect back on us. So as you live life and you're a critical person, something's going to reflect back on you and you're not going to do well in life with your friendships. You're an angry person. It's going to reflect back on you. I had a friend in Charlotte, North Carolina. His name was Todd Hahn. And uh, Todd, in, in, as many of you know, I went down to plant a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. The thing failed miserably. I'm on my way out. Well, anytime, any of you that have been around anything that's failed, you know there's heartache and there's hurt. 
The same was true here. There was some relational breakdown. There was some real ache. There was some real pain. I'm sitting down with Todd because Todd wrote a really strong book on on conflict within the church. He wrote it out of his own experience. He actually spent a night in jail years earlier because of conflict in church. (laughs) It's a crazy story. And he gets out and he studies it and writes on it. I'm meeting with Todd. Here's what Todd says to me. Adam, as you leave Charlotte, understand that when you react to the traits in someone else, it's important to understand that we're really reacting to something inside of ourselves. So what that person is stirring in you and you're calling out, really it says something about what's in you. See it as a gift. Matter of fact, in his book, he says it, I think, even more poignantly. Uh, He says it this way, we meet the same person over and over again and that person is you. You run into the same person. You deal with the same person over and over and over again. And so often we're out there, oh, to them, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's my friends, it's my coworkers, and we're always running into the same person. It's you. I think that's what Jesus is coming after here. And he says, listen, that, that anger begets anger. Generosity spurs generosity. Love stirs love. A critical spirit receives a critical spirit. Let me give you another illustration of this. William Bridges, who wrote the book Transitions. It's a secular book. It's not a Christian book. So I want to show you how this has been his experience. This is not just some Christianese thing. He wrote this book on transitions. The book is about, is written, started back in the 70s. It's still selling today. It's a great book. But he talks about how all of us in life work through change. All of us change. So you move from from. High school to college, it's a change. You move from single to married, it's a change. You move from no kids to kids, it's a change. You move from um, uh, married to unmarried, it's a change. You move from middle of life to end of life, it's a change. And he says, many of us, we change well, but we don't do transition well. So we, have a, we aren't dealing with what's happening to us inside, and we aren't grieving what we're losing. So, so when you move from no kids to kids, you lose, you, we all celebrate. Yeah, we're going to get kids, but there's something we've also lost, and we don't do this transition well. So he, he, he travels and speaks on this and has done it since the 70s, and here's his experience. I want to share it with you. He says, oftentimes when he goes to speak, he'll have people come up to him after, the, after he's there speaking in the room, and he does small group large groups, and they'll come up and say, oh, my word, William, oh, my husband needs this. You ever been like that? You're hearing a message? Oh, yeah, I can already think who I'm going to send this podcast to or just accidentally uh, leave it somewhere so they can. So, guys, this is for my husband, my wife, and you know what? They don't listen to me. I've been telling them for the last 10 years this is what they need. They don't listen to me. And now you usually cop an attitude when you're saying it. And William says this. He's learned to challenge them to address their own transition and their own change. And what he's found is after they address their own transition, it often proves that the blind partner suddenly isn't blind anymore. The partner who isn't listening is now listening. What's changed? William says that this is a quote from his book. I've come to regard it as more than likely that husbands or wives seeking help and advice for their spouse had better face their own need for help. So often we walk into friendships, take this outside of the husband away, we walk into friendships and we judge and we call out and all the while we think the problem's out there. And Jesus is saying, no, the problem's in here. Anger begets anger. Don't judge, forgive. You want good friends? Your friendships aren't working. You want them to be stronger? 
or maybe they are working, you want to go to the next level, you want good friends, eliminate judgment. It kills relationships every time. Now, I want to pause here and mention this. <laughs> Chris and I put this with the elders months ago, and we lay these out, and we study it, and we work on it. And then, I, then we jump in in the week that we preach it and really dive in. And as I really dove in this week, I would love to have actually had another week on this message and just stop and talk about judgment. Because it's a word that I think is misunderstood. Because are we not supposed to be discerning people? That's in essence a judgment. I'm calling something out as evil. That's good. We don't live in a relativistic world. There, there's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's bad. So what I did for you, since we don't have the time to go into it, in your bulletin there's just a brief statement on the difference between discernment and judgment. And then I even gave you six statements down at the bottom, just a little test. How do I know I'm judging versus discerning? So I want to mention it's there, and maybe at some point Chris and I can work at putting together a series on judging and just talk maybe uh, unpack that. So that said... Don't judge, forgive. Now look at, Jesus is going to shift to an illustration. Look at verse 39. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. So he did the teaching, now he's going to kind of illustrate it, to give you a word picture. Can one blind person lead another? I love this. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Pause here. Key is on lead. If in your relationships, in your friendships, if one of you becomes the leader the friendship is not going to be a friendship. It's a contractual agreement between a boss and an employee. It's not how friendships work. I think it's the first thing Jesus is subtly slifting in here. Second thing, when you lead, how can you lead when you're blind and dealing with this stuff yourself? You're both going to end up in the ditch. Now, the second one, the second illustration is even more pointed. Look at verse 40. There's almost a tongue-in-cheek, I think, almost a humor in this one. Verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So your kids are in fifth grade. Your daughter's struggling in that grade. You get together with parents in that grade. And the more you hear other parents talk, you soon hear there are a lot of kids struggling in this grade. What conclusion do you draw? Whose fault is it? Tell me, whose fault is it? Is it not the teacher? Do we not own this to the core? This is how we live life. All the more in the first century, which was more honor-based and more driven on that rabbi, on that teacher. It's saying, hey, your students reflect you. So when you put yourself in the role of judge, you're putting yourself in the role of teacher. And I love the tongue-in-cheek what Jesus is slipping in here. Hey, you're calling out your students, but what you're really doing is calling out who? Yourself. Your student is a reflection of you. And you want to sit and name all their stuff, well, it's really you're just naming your own stuff. I'd say it this way, their problem is often your problem. Now, I put the word often in here because I want to pause here again. We could do a whole other message. You know, there's, there, for example, let me give you an example. Maybe you have been significantly and unfortunately abused by someone close to you, a spouse, um, a mom or a dad, and I want to be very clear, I'm not sitting here saying all problems that you face are your internal problem. I don't, I'm not going there. It's not what we're dealing with this morning. So I, just want to, I feel the need to mention that. 
and it's for another message, but I'll just come back in. Oftentimes, when you're dealing with your friends and your relationships, that's the context we're talking about, and you're running into problems, it's often your problem that's being exposed. Look at verse, continue reading, look at verse 41. He's going to continue to illustrate. Here's a well-known verse. Some of you have likely heard this before. Even if you've not been around church, you've likely heard this illustration. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? So he say, hey, listen, you're judging... You see something they're dealing with. It's this little tiny thing, but, man, you're walking around with a massive problem. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your whose eye? See the word? Friend. Look at verse 41 down through, look at 41 and 42. See all the words, look at 41. And why worry about the speck in your whose eye? Friend's eye. Over and over, so Jesus moved from dealing with your enemies, now he's, you flipped the word enemy and he slipped in the word friend. It's a subtle shift, but I think what Jesus is really saying is often those you have the greatest struggle with and you're hurt by the most who become your enemies are your friends. And you're busy judging and pointing stuff out. And it's not going to be good. Often what it's saying is, listen, often with judgment, what I am calling out in them says something about what's in me. What it's really doing is it's naming my own insecurities. It's naming my own weakness. It's stirring my own sin. Romans chapter 2 verse 1. Go and read it this week. It's a great commentary on this. Chapter 1 into chapter 2 actually. Let me give you a couple quick illustrations on this so you understand how this works. Uh, Maybe let me start with this one. Let's start with a real easy one. Two weeks ago I was at State College for the blue, two weeks ago I think roughly, for the blue-white game. Uh, It's the spring practice game. And when anytime you walk onto a college campus, you see, unfortunately, a lot of uh, so we say, young ladies who should probably have more clothing on. Okay, now what, it, what stuck out to me on this particular day was uh, it was a chilly day with a dampness in the air. A day where I really had a, a sweatshirt, and I think I was even might have at one point been wearing a sweatshirt and a coat and trying to think, man, this is not a lot of fun to watch football. And I'm looking all around me and I'm like, how are they walking around in, wow, they've got to be cold. I wanted to go off from my coat just so they could warm up. Now, what I had is, so some of you say, okay, Adam, I see that. And what, you'll get around people who start judging that. Maybe and I was tempted to a few times, I'm not going to lie. And oftentimes what happens is you're judging, you're calling out. They're immodest. They're, they're moral, moral impurity. Man, we got a problem. We start naming it and let's, let's deal with that issue. You know what I've discovered over the years? Especially men. I'll talk to the men in the room. That's a big deal to you. Oftentimes it's a big deal because your own heart is condemning you. You've got lust. You've got a fire burning inside of you that you're afraid of at times. You're scared. Man, you've got, you've got this sexual impurity running inside of you and this fire is burning. So what we have a tendency to do is, oh, my word, look at that. And all the while, you think addressing that is going to take care of your fire. It's looking out instead of looking in. Let me give you a couple other examples. Make them more personal. That's kind of the one. How about uh, maybe you're with some friends and you, maybe you're trying to either work on a school project together. Maybe you're starting a business venture together. But you're, you're having to share and just give and just take. And you're beginning to call. Your, I mean, this, my friend's got a problem. They aren't giving me my due. 
We're going to fail this project because or this business is never going to off the ground. Because, and and you're, you're calling out and you're naming and what a, what a jerk and what a loser. And, and you're judging this person. And all the while what's happening inside of you, you're ignoring your own greed. I need my share. You're ignoring the fact that you've got a temporal focus and not an eternal focus. And you're so driven to get that A that you've missed that that A is not what life's really all about. Let me give you another one. Maybe it's critical. Maybe you're tired, man. Your friends around you, you jump real fast in those critical spirits. You name it and you call it out. But their critical spirit, what it's really doing is triggering in you your sense of pride. Maybe because you've been rejected in life. Let's just say it's not right or wrong. It hurts. And you're not going to be rejected again. I'm going to cut. You can't be critical. You can't say that. But really what it's doing is inside of you is pride. A sense of entitlement, a sense of you can't reject me. I'm going to call you out. So what Jesus is leading, if you want to do friendships well, eliminate this thing. Deal with yourself. Whenever I'd say it this way, I think here's the way I'd say it. The foundation of any good friendship is recognizing that you are first a sinner and second are you sinned against. And we all at times flip this. Whew, they sinned against me. They got to have it. Understand that I'm first a sinner and second am I sinned against. Now, here's where I want to land this plane, if you will, if you allow me. Jesus was very clear. Matter of fact, these are scary verses to me when he says this. He says, if you don't forgive, you are not what? Some of you know it. What does it say? If you don't forgive, you are not forgiven. In fact, when you flip the chapter, read it this week. Luke chapter 7 has this powerful story of this sinful woman, if you will. I put it in quotes. We don't know what she did. Commentators will try and tell you she was a prostitute. The texts don't tell us that. All it says is she was a notoriously bad girl. That's all we know. And she's touching Jesus, and the religious leaders are like, oh, my goodness, what is she doing? If he was really the son of God, he would know. He'd call that out. Jesus turns to him and says, you know what? Do you know the difference between you and her are? She loves much because she's been forgiven much. Those who have been forgiven much in turn love much. So I understand what I've received, and I've received something, I give it away. Powerful. Now we're going to talk at length about that next week, how to really receive. Well, some of us struggle to receive that. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's talk this week just about giving it away. Here's what I want to do. I want to push in on how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this well in your friendships? Well, here's what I think it starts. Name the evil that's been done against you. Let me state it this way. Don't focus on why it was or how bad it was or wasn't. Simply focus on it was. Name the hurt right now. Go ahead and name it in your mind. What did your friend do to you? What did that person in the inner circle, what knife did they stick in your back? What betrayal did you experience? See, we have a tendency to do. Here's why I don't know why we do this, and it's not all bad, but I think it should be done later down in the journey, not on the front end. The scriptures say, hate what is evil. We have a tendency to do say, okay, I've been hurt. They've done that to me. Oh, but you know what? We rank and file hurts. I don't know why we do this. Well, there's this hurt here, but then there's this hurt up here. Then there's this hurt here. And, oh, my goodness, I know that person. That's, and so my hurt's just down here. So, I, you know, it's, I should just get over it. 
Should you just get over it? Is that what Jesus is asking you to do? Did Jesus say ever in this passage, just get over it? He says, no, forgive. Don't get just, so, so I would say don't worry about comparing, just name it, it was. Second thing I'd say, we have this tendency to do then after we say, okay, I've been hurt. We live with this understanding spirit, which again is great, but for further down the road. And, and we start to say, well, I get why they did that. I mean, their parents, her parents went through a divorce when she was 12 and she's, man, she's dealing with so much internal stuff still to this day. I, her dad died or his dad died when they were two and, and he's basically lived as an orphan or, oh my goodness, they've moved around from the time she was 10 until the time she was 18. They lived in 18 different locations because her dad was in the military or I understand the abuse that they went through, or I understand the home they grew up in. It all makes so, and we try and psychologize it and say, it's a, you know, I kind of get it and I can understand it. I can, I can live with understanding. That's awesome, but I don't think it helps us on the front end. I would say name it. Hate what is evil. What has your friend done to you? Focus on it. And at this point, you got it in your mind, what have they done? What have they done? Gossiped? Slandered? Posted something public on Facebook that shouldn't have been public? Lied about you? Made fun of you? What have they done? Name it. Sit with it. Know that it was. Hate it. Now at this point, I believe you've got two choices. This is why this is so important. Do you know what your two choices are? Condemn it and make them pay. Be the judge. Be the jury. Justice must be done. Evil is bad. Justice must be done. You are a bad person. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to make sure you pay to the full letter of the law. Or second option, forgive them. See, I think when we don't ever do this, we don't ever push into what forgiveness really is. I've been hurt. I'm going to name it. and I'm going to offer forgiveness in return. I'm not going to make you pay. So again, I think that's the golden rule. What is it that you want? Give it away. I want to go to communion at this point. Um, Well, I get asked at times. Here's why I want to go to communion. I get asked at times. This is a great question. I love people that are engaged enough to ask these questions. I truly love it. I get asked. People say to me, why don't we do communion every week? I come from a church, and here's, you know, it's such an important deal. And, and, and I'll get asked the other people on the other side will say, man, we, man, it seems like we do communion, like, way too much around here. We, well, here's our rhyme and reason, just to help you kind of know what we do. We, Chris and I kind of just do communion on the mornings that it really fits. That's kind of how we do it, right or wrong. So this morning, I think it really fits. I think it really fits because communion, communion, we're going to eat some bread and drink some juice. But it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Look with me at verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Jesus named your sin. Did he not? He didn't say, well, it could be worse. It really wasn't that bad. He didn't say, well, I get the background they came from. He said, no. What did he call you? Unthankful and wicked. He named it. And then look what he does. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. He forgave. He has been forgiven much and turned loves much. That's this whole principle. Whatever it is you want to receive, 
give it away. So we're going to go to communion this morning because I think it's a powerful time to really instill this principle in our hearts. So as the ushers come in a minute, what I'd ask you to do is this. I want to do something a little unique with communion this morning. I'd really ask you not just to dwell on your own relationship with Christ, but dwell on someone else's. That person who's hurt you. And I'm going to ask you, when you take communion, you actively realize what has been given to you, and you just say as you take that communion, God, I forgive them. Think about Jesus on the cross. Is this not what he did? He hung on a cross as the perfect son of God. And he speaks seven things from that cross, and one of them is he looks out at the people who are making fun of him, who are mocking him, who put him there, and he says what to them? I didn't say it to them. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Did he not have all the right in the world to condemn and to judge and to call fire from heaven at that moment to end this whole silly game? But he says, no, forgive them. Do you know why he did that? Because it says in John chapter 3, he came into this world to save the world, not to condemn the world. Forgive them. So as you take communion, it's a reminder of what God has given to you. What I want to challenge you with this morning is to say, okay, God, you've given this to me. And there's that friend that's hurt me. There's that friend who is hurting me. And I hate what is evil. God, forgive them. Forgive them. As you do this, too, here's what I want you to really think about. And this is a quote from J.D. Greer, pastor at Raleigh Durham, North Carolina. He says, God has more invested in your life than even you do. He purchased you with his blood. We love ourselves. We invest a lot in ourselves. But you know who's invested far more than you'll ever invest in yourself? And it's Jesus Christ. And he has extended life to you through grace and mercy and forgiveness and not judgment. And all it is is you need to receive it. Acknowledge that he's fully God. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and say, I need your help. So if you've not done that this morning, I'd ask you to do that. And if you don't do that, just let communion pass. This time really is not for you. Take it in and honor it just by being quiet and watching what kind of happens in the room. But for those of you who said, you know what, I've done that. I've made that decision. Use this as a time to extend forgiveness to those you've been hurt by. Let me pray. The ushers are going to come. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup. Just hold on to it, and we'll pull back together and partake of that together. God, thank you so much for Jesus. I just pray for this time, these next five, ten minutes or so, God, that real healing takes place, that we live the golden rule to its fullest, that we extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us because we've received so much from you. God, help us as people to leave even, to get up from this place today, to walk into the world, having received so much from you and ready to give it away. God, we love you. I just ask you deal kindly and gently with all of us in this room. You're a gracious God. Stir in our hearts the things that we need to address and the people we need to forgive. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray.